Hello and welcome to the Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Calvin Wilborn, the National President of the College Democrats of America and the former President of the Alabama College Democrats. Calvin Wilborn, thank you for joining me. Of course, I'm excited to be here. For those who don't know, could you tell us a bit about the work of the College Democrats of America? Of course, so CDA uh, is the official youth branch of the Democratic Party. Uh, we're all on thousands of campuses across the country, uh, and we're just really tasked with, you know, spreading the progressive values, uh, organizing on and off campus in our communities, uh, and making sure that, you know, we really spread those democratic values uh, up and down the ballot. We focus not on presidential races, uh, not only on statewide races, but also on local races, uh, and making sure that our candidates are out there, uh, and we're building a building the bench for generations to come um and you know we really have an important emphasis on making sure our future leaders have the resources and the trainings they need uh, so we can make sure we have a, a better future for our country but also for our party so is that where you believe the college democrats of america sits on the ideological spectrum then the progressive democratic wing um i think you know <laughs> So I'll be honest with you, as a Southern Democrat from Alabama, uh, sitting in the, the role I am as CDA president is not a common thing. Uh, I would think that, you know, more of our college Democrats uh, uh, are progressive. Uh, you know, many of them on college campuses as they are formulating their opinions and, you know, learning and things like that. I would imagine, you know, we, we would see a more progressive uh, wing from college Democrats moving forward. Um, and so, yeah, uh, of course, we have moderates in the party and things like that. But uh, a lot of our college Democrats aggressively want to hit these issues, uh, whether it be health care, education. Uh, and so I would say more, you know, we do have more progressives. One of the goals of the college Democrats is to ensure that young people have a seat at the table, have a voice. How can you and other politically engaged young people ensure politicians listen to them? Well, just showing our collective importance, you know, coming up into 2020, millennials will be one of the largest voting blocks, if not the largest voting block uh, in the country. So really emphasizing on that and, you know, organizing around that, showing our my, you know, in our election with Senator Jones here in Alabama, uh, one of two of the counties that went the most for Senator Jones uh, and helped were Lee County and in Tuscaloosa. And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's where two of the largest public institutions education institutions in the state uh, reside. So I think by constantly, you know, whether we look at trends, polls, history, uh, we have shown where college students and young people have really shifted the pendulum in, in key races. And we continue to do that by showing, you know, by being engaged, registering voters, turning out the votes, especially in those high dense areas where there are college towns or whether there, where there are young people. You talked about that Alabama race, that crucial race where Doug Jones pulled off an upset victory, winning the seat, flipping it for the Democrats. He's up for re-election in 2020. As an Alabama resident yourself, how can Democrats ensure the Republican Party doesn't win back that seat in 2020? Because it's going to be really crucial for the Democrats to retain that seat, retain their seats in the Senate if they want to win back the chamber. Well, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that I've heard Senator Tester say this often, and I know it's a common thing, um, but, you know, elections are not won in election year. They are won in the years in between. Um, so I think by organizing now, making sure that we have the infrastructure, 
the resources uh, for us to organize in Alabama, uh, it's just a little different here. Um, so, you know, making sure now that we're investing in young people. I met with a couple of college Democrats yesterday from UAH and BSCC and a couple of the colleges across the state uh, and making sure and hearing their concerns and making sure we address them now. Um, so, you know, as it comes into 2020, we're just getting out the vote. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is making sure that we're organizing now uh, to make sure that we protect and save the seat. The College Democrats is made up of 100,000 college and university students members. How important, how crucial will it be for young people to show up? I think it'll have a great impact on this election, especially where we know that young people, again, will be shifting the pendulum, will be the largest voting voting block, you know, by 2020. So making sure we get out the vote now, you know, what, not even two, three weeks ago, we celebrated the 54th uh, anniversary and commemoration of the summer to Montgomery March here in Alabama. And that was a big deal. And like knowing the struggles that we've had, not just as young people, but people of color, minorities, uh, to have the right to vote. And then in such a pivotal election, this 2020 election cycle, uh, where we will, you know, be hopefully uh, sending home a, uh, a person who has been divisive, uh, who has used so many opportunities to divide the American people uh, and not bring them together. Uh, and so just thinking about what happened there on that bridge and what they had to go through to the right to vote. And all we have to do nowadays is simply register online. And in some states, it's automatic voter registration. Uh, it's just about getting them to the polls. We're excited about the opportunities. One of the things that just happened in Florida, where we have millions of people uh, who have their voting rights restored now, so one of the things, you know, I'll be talking with Tony Rodriguez, the Florida College Gyms president soon, about how we can strategize uh, and making sure that we get these these formerly convicted felons uh, registered to vote and now that they have their rights back um, and how we can turn out opportunities there because we know Florida is, you know, still a swing state. But now that we have these millions of people that can now vote uh, and have their rights restored, now we have to focus on opportunities like that where we turn out. And, you know, Florida is just one example above other opportunities now that, you know, the biggest thing is registering voters and turning out. You touched on the Florida matter there. In Florida in 2018, voters backed an amendment to give individuals who've been stripped of their right to vote because they've been convicted of a felony the opportunity to register to vote to have their voice heard in future elections. What impact do you think that's going to have on the presidential election in 2020 on Senate races, on races up and down the ballots? How important is it that other states follow suit and give individuals who've paid their debt to society the right to vote back? I think it's vitally important. You know, I think as in a, in a democracy, that one of the most basic rights is this opportunity to voice our concerns and just have a voice. And, and the way we do that is through our vote. Uh, and so it is my hope that a lot of states follow suit, a suit like Florida. You know, now in Florida, I think the some one of the statistics is 40 percent of African-American male weren't, weren't able to vote. Now they can. Um, so now we will hear from a voice of people, you know, and that's just one demographic that impacted. Imagine the others uh, that went without a voice in Florida for so long. And now they'll have the opportunity to have their say heard. You know, imagine if this was already a thing before we had an African-American male uh, at the top of the ticket running for governor this past cycle. Uh, in Florida. So I, I'm excited about the opportunities that it, it will provide for us. I, I think that we also can't get excited about the opportunity with, with uh, you know, forgetting the work that we have to put in. We have to make sure that these people are registered to vote and we have to make sure they still turn out. The issue of voting rights really came to 
the forefront in 2018 in Georgia's governor race, where Stacey Abrams arguably lost because of, in part at least, the number of individuals over 340,000 who were wrongfully removed from voter rolls in the state. What can activists do and what should politicians do to ensure that this sort of voter purging doesn't occur again? You know, one of the biggest things that I think that as Democrats that we've got to do uh, is we have to reinvest in local races. Uh, And I'm not talking about, you know, these national races, but also like Board of Education races and city council races and things like that, uh, because a lot of these districts are drawn not at the national level, but at the local level. And if we can start building the bench and making sure that we have, you know, Democrats there locally, uh, we can ensure uh, that even going up the chain when they're drawing maps, when they're, you know, when the secretary of state is, you know, drawing districts and things like that, we can make sure that our voices are represented locally uh, to make sure there isn't a level of voter uh, disenfranchisement. Uh, But I I think really focusing on these local races, focusing on these state races, uh, these secretaries of states have so much influence in a state like Alabama, uh, where I'm from, you know, automatic voter registration, if it was led by a secretary of state, it could be an actual thing in Alabama. Uh, So focusing on some of these uh, local and state races and really investing there, I I think that we could see a turnover uh, and and the access to, because, you know, Brian Kemp was Secretary of State before he was governor, which is already a conflict of interest. So he he had spent time lining the deck against any challenger, uh, any, you know, anyone that doesn't share his values uh, and making sure that, you know, communities of color and those, uh, affected were not did not have equal access to the ballot, uh, and so making sure that we are on the front end now of pushing our people. But even as we face these challenges now, I'm excited. One of the projects that College Democrats have been doing, and if you see our social media page, Restoration Tuesday, uh, in conjunction with Congresswoman Sewell, she introduced HR four last week, uh, and that's reauthorizing key aspects of the Voting Rights Act, uh, and uh, where we see a lot of these challenges. And I think, you know, hopefully we can make this a bipartisan bill. Hopefully we can get a push to the House. I know it was an equal bill was introduced on the Senate. I think the problem is we've made voting rights a partisan issue and equal access to the ballot should not be a Democrat. Uh, it should not just be a Democratic Party thing. Like, that should be an American thing. How can we make it more accessible? For, for people to vote and have their voices shared. So we're excited. You know, that's what College Democrats is doing right now uh, is really pushing and making sure our students uh, know about H.R. 4 and that we're lobbying around H.R. 4 um, because, you know, making sure that we implement sustainable policy uh, is going to be equally as important, especially for people to run for local offices, and hopefully we can make our voices heard there. You mentioned H.R. 4 there. Stacey Abrams obviously set up Fair Fight Action to campaign for voting rights, combat gerrymandering, introduce automatic voter registration, ensure people have access to convenient polling locations and more. We've seen the work that Democrats are doing in the House with HR1, which they introduced, which had a lot of work to do to expand access to ensure that people had the opportunity to vote, they had the access to vote, they had the right to vote. How do we ensure that once these issues have been addressed, once these have been achieved, that these aren't repealed at later dates? Well, you know, I, I think, number one, once we 
have these things and just like I said in Florida once we have these things set in place the constant organizing to get out the vote um, because that's going to be critical that we do have a president you know one of the biggest long-term things is that the president appoints judges and, and you know we talk about the executive branch we talk about the legislative branch but we cannot forget the importance of the judicial branch because they're the ones that serve a lot a lot of them for life <laughs> and once they're appointed to a judicial appointment they are the ones that, and when the executive branch and the legislative branch disagree on something you know it goes to the judicial branch uh, and they are the ones, you know, we, we see so many overturning of key decisions and, you know, they are the ones that make that final say and will determine whether it's, you know, unconstitutional, where it's gerrymandered. So I think, you know, once we make it more accessible for voting, we make sure that, you know, whoever the executive, the Democratic executive, uh, you know, we are appointing judicial judges that will be impartial, but also make sure that, you know, they are going to be doing uh uh, not, I guess, personally aligned and looking at these cases objectively and making sure uh, that, you know, for the long term, because the judicial branches, you know, will always be there. Um, so I think that'll be, you know, putting more emphasis on the judicial branch. Uh, and once we have, I think, uh, a Democratic executor that won't necessarily line it up, you know, of course, these things still have to pass through Senate when they're appointed, uh, but that won't align so specifically with a particular, um, I-, I guess, back. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi recently came out in support of lowering the voting age to 16. It was an issue that for years has been on the fringes, has been mostly ignored, but now we're seeing politicians come out, acknowledge the issue, express their views on the point. Do you think the voting age should be lowered? And if so, do you think 16 to 18 year olds would turn up and vote in force? Uh, you know, I've been working closely with the high school Democrats of America, and I see the phenomenal work they're doing, even in high school. Uh, and, and you know, they're they're starting to get engaged really early. Some even before sixteen. Uh, I've seen. I met someone yesterday uh, who was at a college Democrat event that you know was. Uh, I think she's twelve years old and wants to follow up to see how she can get involved. So I, I think that as we see more young people getting involved at an early age, I think it's so important that we go ahead and lower it and and allow them to have their voices heard. Um, you know, these kids are really getting involved uh, super early, and we think you know even on Evans Prentice Bridge that we're talking about celebrating fifty four years of the march from Selma to Montgomery, you know, it wasn't just 18 and up, you know, you many of them were young, 16, 15, 14 being attacked for the right to vote. And at that time they knew they couldn't even, you know, even once it passed, they wouldn't have the right. So I think that, you know, 16 will allow those 16, 17 and 18 year olds uh, to ensure they have to make their voices heard because a lot of them are already working. You can work at 16. I remember I was working at 16, so that's how I was paying taxes at 16. Um, so I, I think that it's important if we're going to allow them into the workforce that early and have them paying taxes that, you know, what, taxation without representation? Like, I think they should have the right to vote. It's important to capitalise on that enthusiasm at a young age. If they're passionate about politics, why not give them access to voting why not give them that opportunity to have their voice heard in elections yes uh, and in some yeah and, and in some states some of these people are already on their own 17 either emancipated or things like that so i think that yeah i, I think why not I, I think if they're paying tax you know many of them are like already in the workforce and you know at, at 16 but also that enthusiasm that you know i want to get involved i want to be you know involved in politics or 
not even in politics, but just a democratic process. Uh, and I think that we shouldn't turn them away at 16, 17. Many of them are able to form, uh, all of them really are able to formulate their own opinions on, on what's going on and see what's going on in the issues. And I think it's important to get them on as soon as we can and as early as possible. An issue that is presumably at the forefront of many college Democrats' minds is student loans and the cost of higher education in America. How financially crippling can student loans be in the US? And how does that impact the number of people who want to go to university in America? Well, for me, you know, I just graduated in December. Um, and I can tell you, I, you know, like many like me are like, you know, I've got to find, I've got to start working soon because I have to start back paying back my student loans. And then many people just decide to go ahead and go to grad school because they know that the, the better chances of them going and getting all of their loan debt out of the way and then start paying it. You know, I think one of the ways Democrats can, and one of the ways we will, and, you know, even in Alabama, when I was ACP president, we worked with the Higher Education Foundation. Um, a lot of this is, can be done on the state level, um, but really pushing for higher, more higher education funding. Um, and ironically, I don't think this has to be a national, you know, thing. I think we should definitely do it on the national level. There are some senators, even this cycle, that have introduce bills to target predatory loans even for college students so you know that's great but i think one of the biggest ways we can do is really push for uh bills in the state house and push for higher education funding you know hopefully in alabama we'll have an education lottery soon uh so that'll really help k-12 but also so our tuition rates aren't going up in our public institution and our language institutions in alabama so i think that is a microcosm of what we should is a combination of emphasis on the national level of bills to like help with student loans and, you know, make sure it's not predatory and things like that uh, and better interest rates, but also pushing on the state level to make sure that we have, you know, coming from the state legislators, more higher education funding. I would love to see a hope scholarship in every state. I'd love to see those type of things where if you're from the state, uh, you either pay little to nothing for education. Uh, um, so hopefully we can get that. I'm hoping to see an education lottery in Alabama. You know, I, I may be being too overly optimistic, uh, but I, I'm hoping to see something like that within the next few years. And I think if all of our states could sort of kind of replicate that, whether it be an education lottery or something to bring in revenue to cut down the expenses uh, for you know tuition. There is a scandal currently unfolding in America where it's come to light that wealthy parents have been gaming the system with bribes and falsified test scores in order to get their children into elite colleges. What's your take on this scandal as someone who represents individuals who are at college but has also been there yourself and, and had to work hard to get in? Yeah, I think it's a very, very unfortunate situation because we have so many students who are you know spending their time organizing they're spending their time you know getting the experience on and off campus uh, not just to build their resumes but they've done these things and then they apply and then we have people um who have either paid their way or you know taken spots of people who have genuinely worked hard to get there i you know i think it's very unfortunate and i and i hope that the legal system we are able to set up not only just prosecute you know i don't think it's just important that we prosecute those people and you know, make sure they are rooted out. But like, I think it's also important that we set up systems to make sure that this 
this level of you know nepotism does not happen again. And I, you know, I, I would be crazy to say that you know there isn't nepotism, or you know, because of certain people in certain statuses. You know, I think we have to acknowledge that, but I think we have to set policies in place to make sure that that does not. Uh, oversee those who have really been putting in the work to, you know, either, uh, you know, retaking these tests, whether it be for law school, LSATs, GREs, or even undergraduate SATs, FCAT, or whatever, that who have really been studying, but also spent their time, you know, in, in undergrad or in, you know, K through 12, making sure they get good grades only to be denied or only to be second um, to someone who may have come from a different financial status. So I, I think that we have to set some systems in place to make sure that these type of things don't happen uh, again, especially for those applying to those, you know, Ivy League or not even just Ivy League schools, but, you know, those top schools. You know, we need to make sure that, uh, and especially at a time where we're talking about diversity, you know, for years people have com- complained uh, about affirmative action and, you know, making sure that minorities are represented in some of these top schools now to find out that people have been paying their way to get in you know uh, i can tell you affirm i take affirmative action over that any day you know so I, I think that we need to set systems in place to make sure that everyone has a fair chance of getting into those schools and, and it's strictly on you know those whatever standards uh do you think that this is reflective of a wider issue in america the issue of inequality, where those who come from a less well-off background have to work incredibly hard to get to where they are and can still be denied the opportunities that individuals who come from wealthy backgrounds can just glide into without having to put in the same level of work. I agree. I, I think I think that does point to the bigger issue because not only do we see it in education, we see it in healthcare. We see it in all other facets of life um, is where it seems like the deck is stacked against people uh, <laughs> that don't come from a certain financial status or a certain class or a certain uh, culture or things like that. So I, I think that we do see that, and I think it is a going problem. Uh, and I think here recently the Democratic Party has, has done a good job of highlighting that and how we are the party of the people. And I think college Democrats have a unique you know, per- perce- perception, but a, a unique vantage point to seeing these issues and how we're going to uh, tackle them uh, moving forward, whether that is, you know, universal health care, you know, these big issues to make sure that everyone is on the same playing field and everyone uh, has the opportunity. You know, I think my biggest three things, you know, when it comes to uh, democratic, you know, things is uh, is equal access to education, health care, and of course, infrastructure. Uh, And I think Democrats are really harping on those three things and making sure that everyone has equal access to education, equal access to health care, and making sure we have infrastructure, which is, to me, is jobs. Uh, And I think those three things are really what's going to propel us forward, Uh, especially, you know, we're talking about education now, but health care, you know, here in my home state, like, rural hospitals are closing. Well, you know, for many people, they don't think twice about that. But for those people who are come from a different socioeconomic background, they can't drive two hours to Birmingham if they have an emergency or like just regular doctor checkups. And and so making sure that we have a sense of urgency there for those that are living rurally, uh, as well for those that are living, you know, in, you know, urban or in the city, you know. So I, I think we see that as a common thing all around is just making sure that we're putting that importance uh, on those that come from a different socioeconomic background and making sure they have equal access to these basic needs. One of the areas that you're really passionate about and 
it came through in that point there is healthcare. Since the 2016 presidential election, the Republican Party has fought unsuccessfully to repeal the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. But they haven't failed to dent it or chip away at the program. How can Democrats and Democratic activists protect the Affordable Care Act? Well, you know, in a, in a state like mine, one of the things that we have to do is be strategic in our messaging. Um, because, you know, at first we would say, you know, Obama, yeah, but, you know, we've had to change our wording a little bit and call it the, uh, say, you know, we're fighting for equal access to health care. We're fighting, you know, even sometimes affordable, you know, the Affordable Care Act, you know, has gotten even coined as Obamacare. So, you know, I, I think, of course, in southern states like mine, it started off with messaging. It's where we realized that, you know, we do have to change this messaging a little bit because some there are some that even though they recognize the importance of having rural hospitals, if we say, hey, we want to bring in Obamacare to save this hospital, they're not going <laughs> to they're not gonna support it anyway. Um, so I, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that we've had to change is messaging. Um, I think and, and I hope it, you know, Many, many of the red states, and even so in the South, turned down uh, Medicaid expansion money, uh, and that really hurt a lot of our people in these states. So, you know, I think educating on the issues there, letting people know, like, you know, the money is there, but because of these, I guess, uh, rhetoric, it's being turned down, and people are being hurt by this. You know, the hospitals are closing. They don't have access to, to health care. So I, I think education on the issues is going to be another important thing uh, to overcome this challenge by Republicans. You know, that was one of the scariest things for me when I, when uh, after in 2017 was that first vote, I think, in, in the springtime uh, where they were going to vote to uh, repeal Obamacare. Uh, and luckily they didn't have the votes, but that was a scary thing to imagine millions of people without health care and they were not providing an alternative. Uh, alternate solution uh, just just because it had Obama's name on it. Uh, and so that, that does concern me, that scares me, but I'm hopeful that through education of the issues uh, and we'll see through this next election, election how that's going, um, that we can get back and, and we keep the House and hopefully take back the Senate uh, and we can push through some, you know, I think we have to acknowledge that there were some issues with Obamacare, uh, you know, of course, the premiums and things like that, uh, but I'm hopeful that once we are in a position to pass the bill and hopefully maybe even support bipartisanly, um, we can address some of the, the things wrong with Obamacare. Uh, but I, I, I do think it's practical to admit, you know, there were some things wrong, there are some things wrong with the, you know, with the, with the bill. And I think we do need to make some amendments. I just hope that we can work with, across the aisle to do that now uh, in the meantime until Democrats can get in a better foot uh, to pass major overhauls. The Democratic presidential primary has kicked off. It's in full force now. How important is it that Democrats come together and support the eventual nominee, whoever that is, when they go to the polls in 2020? I think that is going to be super critical. Uh, you know, if we it is going to take, like I mentioned before, you know, we, we elections are not one in election year, but it's going to take it's going to be very important that we all come together uh, because the alternative, <laughs> we see what the alternative is. I think we sat back in 2016 and we took things for granted uh, and we allowed the alternative to get in there. Then three, four years later, now we're seeing the full impact of our apathy, our, our, our you know, just our willingness to not come together uh, fully. So I think it's going to be very important that we come together after this primary. You know, we have so many amazing candidates running, uh, representing 
different views and different parts of our party. Uh, and so once we do find that one candidate that will be our nominee, I think it's so important that we get behind them and organize and call and get out the vote and make sure our family is you know, registered because this is impacting, you know, more than just our party. Like this is impacting, uh, you know, we'll likely have some more Supreme Court nominations after uh, you know this election, and so it's important that we have a Democratic president in there. Whether we 100%, you know, our, our individual ideologies align with even within the spectrum of the Democratic Party with this person, you know, we have to make sure we have someone in there that is going to be looking out for the regular people. What do you think is the biggest issue, or going to be the biggest issues for young people in America for the college Democrats heading into? the 2020 election that you want to see presidential candidates take up, pledge to tackle, look into? Well, I think, you know, one of the things that we mentioned before is uh, college affordability. I think, I think for any college student, that's the, that's the top thing on their mind is not leaving, you know, stu- school uh, with thousands of dollars in debt, but also making it more accessible for more students, you know, and not just, you know, when I talk to say school, I'm not talking about just college. I'm talking about, you know, even uh, whether it be nursing degrees, whether it be community colleges, whether it be technical programs, you know, there's so much, so many opportunities there uh, to go to trade school and things like that. So I'm not talking about, you know, just four year college. I'm talking about equal access to all of those opportunities, uh, whether it be getting a four year degree, two year degree or getting certified uh, in whatever program. You know, there's great money out there. Uh, for uh, even getting your CDL, truck driver certifications. You know, we just need to make sure it is easily accessible and making sure that people from certain backgrounds also have the opportunity, whether it be scholarships, grants, Pell Grants, funding, things like that. And so I think that is one of the biggest things in the conscious mind and the mind of many college students is affordability and making sure others behind us, you know, don't leave college and school with that amount of data, denied the opportunity to attend, because uh, because we see now how important it is, and, and, and education is so important. Um, so I think you know I've heard you know one of the things rarely do I quote you know a Republican, but I heard one of my Republican legislators say something that was so true: uh, key to capitalism is an educated workforce. Uh, and I think education, an educated workforce, is going to be very critical. You know because right now we are living in a capitalistic society in America, unfortunately. Uh, and so uh, I think making sure that the only way we can overcome that and, you know, is just an educated workforce wherever we are. Uh, so I think the key to any country is an educated workforce. And um, I don't know, I, I, I think that making sure that students have equal access to education is going to be something critical to all college students and something that I think we'll see them asking questions on. Of course, we'll have these other other issues like immigration and things, but the 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 issue that is facing college students the most will probably be, of course, college affordability. Calvin Wilborn, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, and uh, I'm glad to be here and glad we could have a discussion. That was Calvin Wilborn, the president of the College Democrats of America. You can find out more about the work of the College Democrats of America on Twitter at College Dems or online collegedems.com. That's all for this week. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.